and welcome to another edition of the Draw on Today podcast, where we encourage you to draw every day. In this episode, we'll be talking to illustrator William Stout and comic artist Zach Howard at the inaugural Edmonton Expo in October 2012. In this discussion, we'll be talking about conventions, mortality, and shawarma. Later on, we talk to Bioware Human Resources on how to get a job in the game industry. So stay tuned for some great discussion. All right, well, we're here after the uh, inaugural Edmonton Expo, and we're having some dinner afterwards. I'm here with uh, William Stout. That's me, William Stout. Happy to be here in Edmonton, having a great time. It was a great show. Uh, and I'm Zach Howard, A. Oh, you, you learned to speak Canadian. Yes, I speak fluent Canadian, A. Oh, oh yeah? Oh, yeah, yeah, and A. It's, it's been two days. <laughs> yeah, it's, uh, yeah it, I had to hold back the laughter at first. Uh, uh, there's nothing wrong with it. I just... Just everybody sounds like... Doug everybody's... Pizza. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And you're, uh, it's, people are saying, hey, you got nice art, eh? Uh, what are you drawing, eh? How, hey. many, how many Captain Canuck commissions did you do this weekend? I don't even know who that is, but uh, did you get one? That's a great comment. I really, I've got Captain, all the Captain Canuck. Canucks, yeah. What does he do? Shovel snow? Is that his I mutant power? He's basically he can clear sidewalks of snow. <laughs> I guess he's not that famous. He's like our version of Captain America. Yeah, I'm not sure. Cool. Yeah. Hey man, we're Just relevant. It's George Freeman, right? I'm not sure. You know, as a Canadian, I didn't read that oh, stuff. I thought a Nook of the North was your Captain America. We like Alpha Flight. Alpha Flight. Oh yeah, yeah, that good book. Yeah, because so. it actually takes place in Edmonton and Calgary. So. Oh wow. It does. Wow. You read? I'm reading all the old Alpha Flights, and it's like exciting. You know, we're Didn't in the they Rocky have, like the guy that like we got a guy shorter than Wolverine. You know, he's, <laughs> yeah, pop. he's like a foot and a half. <laughs> you know, like well, like I'm gonna be scared of that guy. <laughs> well, kick him in the teeth and keep going wherever you're going. He can punch you in the nads. Dash your knees. Yeah, I don't even think he can reach your nads, can he? Oh, here's oh, the beer. Oh, outstanding. Oh, thanks. Could I get a glass, please? Oh, so it's it's we Zach, Zach's first Canadian beer here. Cheers, buddy. Yeah, yeah, because I was drinking Carlsberg, so this is my first Canadian beer. That's not a Molson. No, this is from Calgary, so. Oh, that's outstanding. It's a nice one, isn't it? It's very, that's very medium. Yep. It's called Big Rock good Traditional. Flavor. Wow. We're drinking traditional ale. Yeah. Very uh, creative name. It's from yeah. Big Rock Brewery in Calgary. So. And traditional ale is not a description. That's the actual name of the brewery. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, we're going to be firing up the hookah here soon. Yeah. yeah, we're in we're in a Beirut cafe with hookahs and lots of hookah-looking people what and flavor? couches. I've never done a hookah before. What do you? Is it like tobacco or? It is tobacco. It is they, like flavored or like something. Because he said great. He's smoking great pleasant tobacco. Okay. It's like a cool mist in your. Can you get beer flavored tobacco? <laughs> That'd be pretty cool. Why would you do that when you're drinking a beer? Overload. You gotta really saturate all your pores. He's, so, he's an American, so excess is bad. Right. Right. He's Here just looking. Take it to the point of failure. <laughs> <laughs> Take it to the point of medical attention. Get some help. Repeat. There you go. There you go. Recharge and go again. So, Zach, why don't you describe a little bit what what you do, your history and, and your background, and, and what you do in comics? 
uh, uh, I've, I've been a pro for uh, 10 years. Uh, I pencil and ink uh, with some very, very, very minor writing, but uh, uh, I worked uh, for the big two for a long time. Uh, got tired of superhero stuff, and I do indie work now. I'm best known for Shaun of the Dead, uh, although uh, the cape um, that I do with Joe Hill is what I'm signing for now, and it's probably going to be even more popular. So, uh, uh, couldn't be happier to be here, and everybody is big cape fans. I sold out of books, uh, worked from the second I got there till. The second I left, uh, I really so. liked your your inked work and your covers and all the original comic art. Oh, thank you. W- what do you think about uh, going to cons, like selling stuff? What's sort of the magic math you got in your head and your strategies? You know, when you're trying to maximize your pages and your commissions and all the items that you bring. You know, how how do you, as an experienced con guy, um, get the most out of your con experience? Um, I. William and I may differ on this. Uh, uh, he's far more professional than me. Uh, I I usually get burnt out of cons, so I'll do like a lot one year, and I'll do like one the next year. Uh, ebb and flow. Um, I seldom bring books uh, because they're heavy, so I just bring originals and prints. And uh, as far as maximizing, I just try and be personable, uh, and uh, I'm not too expensive compared to. You know, a lot of my buddies, and uh, they always hate me for that, but I just feel horrible, you know, people spending, you know, they're already spending 500 bucks. I don't want to, you know, bump it up to 1500 It's not right. a painting like you do. It's, right. It's line art. It's commercial art. I just feel like scum if, you know, hard, I work hard. I'm sure the person buying the artwork works hard, too. I don't yeah. want to rob them. Um, but I think the key is... Uh, even when I wasn't popular, as far as in my books, I got I made a lot of money at cons, and I think it's just being personable. Right. Joke around with them. Make them feel like they're, you know, you're engaging them and stuff like that. Make them laugh, and I guarantee they'll come back. And You know, and if they have a good experience with you, you got a fan for life. I, I found the same thing. I, You know, you just... They want to hear what the process is. Like, you know, do they email you the art descriptions and what do you do? And you know, they just want to know the nuances of. They want to know how it what, all works. They want to know what it's a boot. Mm. A boot, yeah. Yeah. Hey. the hoose. Yeah. So, William, maybe you can talk a little bit. Yeah. Being probably the most experienced con guy. I've ever met for sure. Only three times longer than me. So you had some some interesting things you were saying to me yesterday at dinner about um, your your San Diego strategies and, and some of the funny stories about the big collectors that come by. And, and why don't you just recap some of those stories? I forgot them all. Yeah. <laughs> well, you were saying so, only had a sip of so, beer, man. Yeah. So uh, my convention strategy. Well, <laughs> it's funny. I learned. Through my wife, who was talking to people who didn't know she was my wife, uh, that I have a reputation as a convention whore, which I, I, I found hilarious. Uh, I see conventions as doing conventions as being like a rock band is playing every small club in America to build up a following. And the fans have a choice. Uh, if there are two pieces of art of equal quality and they want both of them, one of them is by a guy they've never met. One's by a guy that they've met who's really nice to them. They really like which one they're going to buy. They're going to buy the one by the guy they met. 
So I try to build up goodwill all over whatever shows I, I meet. I, I don't understand professionals who treat fans with disdain. I think it's uh, it, it's going to bite them in the butt eventually. It happens uh, in fact, a lot. I, I know a lot of big pros now that conventions will not book because of their attitudes it toward their fans. Wow. And even if they do, if they're a superstar, it, 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 it just yeah. makes no sense. It takes energy to be a jerk oh, or yeah. an asshole yeah. or whatever. It's, it's just, just as easy to be nice to people. I think it's easier. Yeah, it is. And, and you know, as an artist, we, we all work in isolation. So I worry about losing social skills. There so it's go. good to get out. It's good to meet people. It's good to make those connections. And so maybe the kids coming to your table can't afford to buy a painting. But they can afford to buy a $15 book. Or, or even if they don't, in the future they, they will. If you're nice to them, they're going to remember that. They're going to remember, hey, that was the artist who was really nice to me, even though I didn't buy anything. Well, eventually they grow up, they become doctors, lawyers. Rapists. <laughs> and uh, a lot of those guys, I mean, we all grew up together, and a lot of those guys now are some of my biggest collectors. Mm-hmm. And they're my biggest collectors because I was nice to them. Yep. And I, I didn't treat them like, oh, I, you know, I can't be bothered with you because you're not going to buy anything. Yeah. Or the people that have an assistant, and they won't even engage the fans. Oh, just to, yeah. I'm like, what are you oh, doing? Yeah. Why are you even oh, here? Please. Why are you even here? Yeah. Why are you even? It's stupid. What do you do? What do you well this? What do you, you're you're a fat fifty year old man that draws Green Lantern. Yeah. Say hi to the poor kid. Exactly. You know. <laughs> so I, I also see this as a business venture, and I try to have something for every price point, so that if you're interested in my art, no matter how much or how little money you have, I've got something you can afford. Let's, so, let's also talk about perception of, of being on one side of the table versus quote unquote the art ghetto. Remember? Oh, yeah. That's one thing that's really important to me. When I do conventions, I always am, am adamant that uh, they do not put me in Artist Alley, which I call Artist Ghetto. It's, uh, it's, it's, it's the wasteland. It is. It's terrible. I, I want to be where the action is. I want to be where the money is. I want to be in the dealer's room with the dealers because that is where all the foot traffic is and that's where people are spending money. And uh, if they're surprised to see an artist exhibiting there, that's all the better. It makes me stand out. Whereas I don't want to be lost in the legion of, of artists and artist alley. And uh, sometimes I don't get the choice. I'm. I mean, it's only been the last, I'd say, couple of years that they moved me from uh, uh, attendee to guest to special guest. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, it's it's a different world because I, I mean, I, I even told the the anecdote in Wizard World uh, one time. I had a porn star next to me. Right. And it was a sea of sweaty fat men with fanny packs. Uh-huh. I made like I made like two hundred bucks the entire con because no one even found me. People that knew that I was there. Yeah. Um, and that's the great thing about being an official guest is you get a removed from the again. It's like a it's like the old west. It's just horrible out there. Get guys that. Want something from you? They're they're, they're publishing Captain Shitman or whatever, yeah, yeah. and uh, of of uh, stupid studios or, or whatever. And it's just <laughs> it's just nonstop. It's one after the next, and you kind of get lost in those. And the ta- the the quote unquote talent wears you down. Yeah. Um, the fans seldom see you or can find you. Um, 
you need just that that branding and visual cue of listen like like I'm over here so you know it's not fan art there's a qualitative difference there's a justification you know there is there's a reason why I'm on this side of the aisle versus the other side of the aisle and hopefully that justifies you know prices and perception because people need cues and they need um, they need to be uh, what's the word they, they need feedback that one one thing is worth a certain value and another thing is worth a different value. They need feedback that something is a certain way. You know, they may not be able to overly justify quality in their head. They may sort of like a drawing and sort of like another drawing. Um, may sort of have a vague feeling that one is better than the other, but they may not have the wherewithal, you know, to really, you know, discern quality. So, you know, if you can separate Usually yourself... Not. If you can separate yourself, even if they don't know your name, you know, then they can say, okay, well, you know, this guy's a guest, and then maybe I'll research him a little bit, and oh, yeah, he is a, a big deal. Yeah, there is a certain branding that comes with being a guest, for the most part. And there's, a, there's another thing that's kind of funny is, dress nice. Mm. Yeah, don't look like... So many artists dress like writers. (laughs) They're just like... Or or the best is the silk Wolverine t-shirt or the button-down shirt or whatever. And you're like, what are you doing, dude? I mean, comic artists... It's so rare for a comic artist to dress nice that Dave Stevens was known... Someone asked, how do I find Dave Stevens? And and the girl said, oh, he's the the comic artist who's close fit. (laughs) I miss him, That man. alone made him stand out amongst all the other... So what's the perception? Do you think people look at you dressed nice and they think, okay, he's he's mature, he's a professional, he's not like... You're separating yourself from being a fan, a working fan. It's less of a gimmick, too, I yeah. think, too. It's less of a gimmick, and it also implies that, wow, maybe this guy's stuff is worth the prices he's asking. Right, right. I guess I'm in between. I just dress comfortable. I yeah. mean, I wear clean clothes. Uh, I don't look slovenly. And uh, again, I don't wear my silk $100 Wolverine t shirt, oh, right. button down shirt, which is. But it's like a piece crazy, of art. As soon as it's got a frame on it, suddenly you're saying, this is worthy of hanging on a, in a gallery versus this is not. It's just the frame is the cue. It's. I it's, just say be clean. Yeah, or they just walk up and they, and they look at you and they go, wow, you look successful. Yeah, yeah. It gives them confidence in buying your work. Right, exactly, yeah. Yeah. So what, what, can you give us some tips, William? I mean, you've been around a long time and do a lot of conventions. Um, what are some of the things you can say that, that would help an artist sort of in the mid part of their career um, sort of, you know, being successful continuously and, and building their brand? Um, well, there, there's a couple different ways to go about that, and I went about it the hard way. The quickest way to get famous is to do one thing consistently over a period of time. There you go. I'm watching doing Swamp Thing. Yep. Uh, is a, a perfect example. But they act and trap you. But would that work today, though? With with Bernie's, oh yeah, it will. It's sick of drawing Swamp. But with this sort of media divergence today, where everybody likes something different. Would being a guy that works on one comic really do anything? Yes, I mean, absolutely. In uh, the 70s, yeah. No, no, no. Right now, uh, if you work on a monthly, even for like six, eight months, yeah. you're like, if I drew Green Lantern for eight months, my fan base would, would expand. grow exponentially. Oh, yeah. But does it grow in that field or does it grow overall? Overall, uh, fans 
they're pretty loyal, I think, in comic books. They follow a guy wherever. He's like, oh, I loved his run on Green Lantern. Mm -hmm. I'm going to get his creator-owned book then, too. Um, so you have to establish a reputation somewhere and be have a definable product somewhere, have a, a franchise association? No, okay. you don't have to do anything. You don't have to, no. Yeah. It's just I, I chose the opposite path, which is diversity. I work there you go. Every week I'm working on, in a different field. And it's confusing to fans because uh, it makes me difficult to pigeonhole. They... And there are a few things I'm known for, like dinosaurs and zombies, because of some of the projects I've worked on. But uh, I, I consider myself a fine artist working in the field of commercial art. I take a fine art attitude to everything. I try to do the absolute best possible job I can do on every job that comes my way and, and, and inject something personal into it so it has layers and levels and that it resonates over time. So it's not something that you like immediately at once and then get tired of it. I want to do stuff that people can come back to over time and over time, and continue. It continues to feed them. It continues to uh, interest them and make them feel good about the work. I did a similar path as him. I I was I could the monthly just makes me crazy, but I, I do it. I, I don't consider myself a fine artist. Uh, uh, I consider myself storyteller only. So when I'm drawing She-Hulk, I'm miserable. But I, I, so I took a huge pay cut to do the Cape with Joe Hill because the story was phenomenal, or Shaun of the Dead, or or whatever. Uh, my new series. I'd is, rather is that do Joe Hill, the same Joe Hill as the novelist. Yeah, yeah. Oh wow. Yeah, that's Stephen King's yeah, son. Yeah, Stephen King's son. Yeah. Um, uh, phenomenal man. Yeah. Um, a wonderful guy, and uh, no hyperbole. That explains why I see him at Comic Con now. Yeah, there you go. Um, I did a signing with him there in San Diego, a couple of them. Anyways, uh, and that hurt me, uh, where I got a good buddy who is able to skirt it. He works at Vertigo, and he does, like, Joe the Barbarian, and gets a humongous fan base uh, doing a, a monthly book for, for a run, and then... He goes and brings those fans over to Punk Rock Jesus now. Um, I don't have that. I don't have that patience. I'm not fast enough. I go stir crazy when I'm working on Schlock. Um, he's. Some people can compartmentalize it. I can't. It just burns me up if the story's bad. So. I, I have the hard, I guess, a hard road like you because I bounce around. Every story is different than the last one, which I do have some diehard fans, which I'm sure you have plenty, William. But uh, you don't have as many as again. If you drew Superman for, you draw Superman for eight, twelve yeah, issues, you just yeah. explode. Uh, in those, I mean, you can't reach those numbers just doing indie stuff. Almost never. There are exceptions, but very rare. Very rare. Well, I'm, I'm glad you're here because. Uh, personally, I just got interested in comics like two months ago. Like, I worked in video games for 12 years. You know, learned painting, learned technology. You know, had to be up on games. Comics is just too separate. You know, yeah. and I didn't, I didn't go into comic shops. You know, it just wasn't on the radar. And then now I've realized I actually love comics. It's, I love multi-figure battle scenes. I love complexity. I love fighting and action and all the like crazy shit you know that guys like and I realized comics is you know the place where that's in its most pure form um, plus drawing you know inking line work you know purist art technique finds its way into comics so oh absolutely I'm really yeah. into comics now but I'm all, almost 40 so what do I do if I wanted to get into comics I think it would be a little too late in my career 
um, no, to learn how to do so. that. Not, e- not at no. all. Uh-uh. However, we're living in a golden age of comics. It is wide open. It's the wild west. And anybody and can you do don't it have to any day. Anymore. You can do any subject matter. You can. Internet about. changed everything. Uh, Harvey Picard with American There you Spider. go. Oh my God! Here's a guy who, who built a successful series about being a file clerk. <laughs> but there's so many layers, not just the skill layer and the technique layer, but like getting into that industry, you know, getting getting in the door of these companies. So I'm thinking maybe the closest easy step would be covers because it's because you're a painter, you'd be able to easily get covers. It'd be a total natural. For yeah, you. it would. You'd it'd be done and done. You'd just walk up to some editors and show them your stuff. Okay, it'd be that yeah. easy. That's my that's my question. Is so. What do I do? Do I go in the front door? Do I knock on... Cons is... Like I think I told you earlier, go to like Emerald City Con or C2E2. Mm-hmm. There's going to be not would, editors everywhere. Yeah, I wouldn't recommend Comic-Con because they are deluged at Comic-Con. Yeah, yeah. right. They're hammered. It's hard. It's really hard to Everyone's have a, a quiet personal conversation with those yeah, guys. Yeah, stressed. Long high octane. Exactly, exactly. Oh, they're just work, work. Yeah. Go to the mid-range shows. Yeah. Uh, that all... Like that's why I said uh, yeah. Emerald City C two E two. There's a great show in Portland. Oh, is there? Yeah. Huh. And, and and that's a great show because that's where Dark Horse is. Yeah. In Portland, so you can go to the Portland show and while you're there, visit the Dark Horse ah. offices. Mm. Yeah. And there's there's a lot of things like that. Go to New York Comic Con, try and meet some editors, and maybe go to their offices, yeah. either DC, Marvel. Um, Thank you. Oh, here's our food. Uh, I got the. You got falafel. I got falafel. Okay, I got beef from this chicken from right? This is like the Avengers, you know, little extra bit at the end of the movie where the Avengers <laughs> oh, are ordering shawarma. Awesome. <laughs> you know, I didn't see that. You haven't seen oh. the Avengers? I saw the Avengers. Well, the credits go. You got I saw the credits and it was like the Thanos credits, or and something. At the end, at the, they have a whole scene with all the Avengers sitting in a diner, ordering even shawarma. on the DVD or whatever. Uh, falafel. Huh. Yeah. Well, there you go. So this I is sucked. our Avengers moment. And, and the one comic artist in the group doesn't know what we're talking I'm about. I'm the worst guy to talk <laughs> comics about. I don't even buy them. I don't read them. Uh, I love them. I, I got burned out. Uh, the only I do read them, but I mostly just read trades of uh, me too. Yeah. My buddy's work. Or but it's uh, funny. You're in comics, and you don't really follow oh. comics. Not I, not superhero stuff at all. Yeah, I like know. I know what Joe Hill's doing. Right, right uh, Lock right. and key. I know what's going on there. But uh, somebody asked me about. Uh, Can you believe what they're doing with, you know, uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm yeah, like, yeah. Uh, well, I don't know. Are they all gay now? What's right, going right. on? You're you know, worried about like, technical things. You're worried about art. You're I just want about, storytelling. That, yeah, I, yeah, that's all I care about. Mm. Uh, storytelling what, above all. Yeah, that's what consumes me about comics. It keeps me doing them, even though they don't pay. Yeah, I just I love them. get ready for that. With Pictures. I love to tell stories with pictures. That's how I am. Words on pictures, yeah. nothing more powerful in my mind. And uh, it's, it's like, for me, it's like directing a film on paper. There you go. Except, you are the director. Except you're the director, you're the production designer, you're the set decorator. And a little bit of God, because he can do things he can't do in a movie. Exactly, because uh, if you want to cast the thousands, if you got the time to draw them, you can have a cast of thousands. Exactly. Any camera angle, any technology, yeah. outer space, whatever you want. Yeah, or to, to just... Uh, Two people sitting at a coffee table, whatever you want, yeah. you know. So let's just maybe wrap up a bit of comic talk before we go to our shawarma break here. <laughs> so Zach, if I want to get into comic covers, okay, you're saying go to the mid-range cons, meet with the people. 
I mean, that's going to cost me thousands of dollars to get an airfare, and, and it may or may guess. not happen. Was it guess? Okay. Contact the people putting on the con. Uh huh. You're good enough. You should be a guest. Even if they don't fly you out there, see if they can comp your hotel. Uh, yeah, yeah. Definitely t- never pay for a table. Uh, this was a great conversation William and I had last night on getting to be a guest, getting your name out there, and, and, and getting the cons to know about you. So we'll talk about that after our shawarma break here. Shawarma. Yeah. As long as you're living, always remember, time is for spending. But there's an ending While you are sleeping Life is a-creeping Wake up and taste it Foolish to waste it Sample and savor All of life's flavor As long as you're living Alright, we just finished our awesome meal at I think the, we're looking uh, the plates here, so yeah. this is really good So, one of the things I'd like to get your you guys' feedback on is uh, when I started doing shows, I had a, a sort of a three-year rule. I would uh, go to a convention and then not, not come back to that convention at, uh, for another three years because I was worried about people sort of getting too used to me or, or taking me for granted and I wanted to maintain that special quality of, oh wow, he, he, he hasn't been here in several years and here he's back and so uh, providing an impetus to, to come see me. But then I started doing a, a few shows like, uh, for instance, Dragon Con. That's the biggest convention in the, in the South. Uh, right now I think it's up to about 80,000 attendees. That's in Atlanta, right? Yeah, it's in Atlanta, Georgia. Uh, and it's a, a unique convention, and that's the only convention I know of where art is not the focus. The focus is on writers because there's a still a strong literary tradition in the South. People still read. And so the artists of the second-class citizens, unlike the writers at other shows. Nevertheless, uh, I used to do Dragon Con every three or four years. And then they started a contest called the Iron Artist. I won the contest, so then I had to come back the next year to defend my crown. Well, I've been defending my crown every year now for about 10 or 12 years. Wow. And What do you do to defend it? Uh, win. <laughs> what, is it like a sketch-off? Is it like a knife something? fight? Or what? Oh, oh, what it is is uh, it, it's a really interesting show that uh, continues to build with each year. It's, it's amazing. It, it's based on the Iron Chef. Uh, so it's, it's Sunday morning, 10 a.m., and there's a stage, and there is a, a big screen, and there are two easels. And uh, alongside each easel is a long table full of art supplies. And uh, the two contestants are both artists. And there's a big canvas on each easel. And we basically have 45 minutes to do a painting. Wow. And we don't know what the subject matter is going to be. We don't know what the style is going to be. Or the special ingredient. Or the special ingredient. <laughs> you must paint with pink. Yeah. So, so they, 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 they do a really nice dramatic introduction of each artist. And they show examples of their work on the big screen. And uh, then the audience suggests a style, and they suggest a subject matter, and they suggest a secret ingredient. And so all three of those things have to be incorporated in the painting. You have 45 minutes to do it. They have an MC who's highly entertaining, usually uh, a comedian guest. Are you okay? We're doing good. Yeah. Sure. Are you all finished everything? Yeah. Yeah? Yeah, yeah except I, I would love another beer. Please. Another beer? Hey, no I'm going to get a, a falafel wrap to go. Yeah. Should I bring in okay. enough? Whenever. Okay. Whatever is easiest. 
I appreciate it. And one more beer or three more? Uh, you can get one for me too. Okay. Two. I'll, I'll ace it. I'm walking so home. So three of you or no? Uh, just two, yeah. Just I'm two? Okay. Yeah, he, he's got to drive. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so you're cut off. Yeah, I'm cut off. <laughs> so, so for instance, uh, one year Michael Winslow from the Police Academy movies was the guest MC. <laughs> And what he does is while we're painting, since you know watching someone paint is to me is like watching grass grow. Yeah. Uh, he keeps uh, up a lively banner going on. He engages the audience. Uh, he selects three judges from the audience, and uh, he keeps it lively. And sometimes he'll, he'll he'll stop us and ask us a question. And and uh, at the end of the forty-five minutes, the time is up. Picture is declared done, and then uh, the audience. Uh, votes on which is the best painting and they also auction off the painting for charity and uh, usually I, I the rules tend to tend to change every year but usually now it, it's uh, whatever picture auctions off for the most money is the winner and so I've continued to win so but because I'm there every year and they give me the same spot every year thank you very much I have a strong and loyal following of people who know exactly where I'm going to be and they seek me out and they, they're used to me being there each year and, and that includes some of my collectors so it's, it's become a very lucrative thing to be and it, and it sort of violates my three or four year rule but in, in a really positive way so I'm wondering what what your experience is. I'm uh, really into positive violation. Um, no, I I don't have rules like you have. I just wing everything. Uh, like how you take notes and uh, catalog things. I, I, I don't have patience for that. Uh, yeah, Zach's talking about the, at the end of each show, I have a sheet that lists every book that I brought, every every item that I brought for sale, the numbers I brought, and then I do an inventory and I find out what's sold so that when I come back to that city for another show, I know not uh, roughly how much to bring and I don't bring too much because in I'm, I'm an overly optimistic person and I tend to bring way too much and this keeps me from doing that, which is great. I'm opposite. I try to bring as little as possible. I don't bring banners, books. Uh, I usually just sit at an empty table and just uh, play with my butt. Until but you know what? Can... When I saw you, okay, we're Were at the Edmonton Expo. I come in with my paintings on racks. I've got a big banner. William fills up his table like... I just throw my crap out there. Edge to edge with stacked content. And Zach... I saw him come in, sort of sits there with some paper, sort of by his lonesome, and I'm thinking, hmm. Who's the smart guy? <laughs> well, well, I didn't know who you were. I, I'm not familiar with your name, because like I said, I just got into comics two months ago. But the optics of that, to me, are... Here's hmm. this guy doing commission after commission after commission, making money hand over fist. Well, I don't know. I think the optics were that you just didn't have a lot of stuff, so maybe <laughs> maybe you haven't done a lot of stuff, you know? I, until I came over to your table and, oh, okay, the quality's really there. He's really good. You know, but you have to dig for that. There's not the signpost. Boom. I'm a big guy. Come over here. See what I got. A lot of it is uh, I'm very uh, insecure about self-promotion. I've never been comfortable with it. I don't make signs. I don't make banners. Uh, if people like me, they'll find me. And uh, I'm, as you guys probably saw, I make money faster. Than, I mean, as fast as I can draw, I make money. Yeah. Uh, and sell my covers, originals. Uh, you know, your commissions. You were doing big drawings, like eleven by seventeen inked 
drawings with a lot of figures and detail for how much? A hundred. Yeah, oh. that is cheap. I mean, <laughs> working really, like a dog really like that. Cheap. Custom work. I, but like you said, you want to give them a deal and a good experience. When a genuine fan comes up to me, I will be genuine to them. Um, not, I mean... I don't know. I just, I'm not saying any ways better. In fact, you're way smarter than me, both of you guys. I am not comfortable with self-promotion. Two, I don't like carrying around my books. I've done more books than I can count. I don't even know. People bring hmm. up crap and I'm like, oh, I don't even remember drawing this. Wow. Uh, that was ten years ago. or That was eight years ago. Um, it's, I'm not saying self-promotion is necessarily pretentious or, or being self-absorbed or, or conceited, what ha whatever direction you may be thinking. I just, I'm not comfortable with it. I only care about storytelling, so yeah. I can look at my pages, examples of storytelling. Yeah. I have a few prints up on, on it, and if you want me to draw or sign a book, I draw or sign a book, and I stay busy from the second the door is open till they kick them away from mm -hmm. my table. And you're, uh, you're honest, and you respect your work. Your work is respectable, and you expect that once people discover it, they'll see the inherent qualities, and you don't have to wave a flag. Well, I'm not comfortable doing it. I don't know if it's yeah. right or wrong, and I don't make that decision. My mind doesn't even go there. I'm just not comfortable doing it. Mm -hmm. uh, uh, and I'm just the opposite. I love self-promotion. It yeah. comes really easily to me. And I think it's really important because, you know, as I was talking with Mike, fame does not tend itself. I, th I think the public and, and the beginning artists think that, wow, once I'm famous, then I've got it made. No, once you're famous, then you have to feed that fame monster constantly because the public has a very short memory. But I'm not famous, and I don't plan on being famous. I'll be honest. Ah, but fame is the key to to higher prices as an artist. But I have no desire to sell my stuff for more. Oh. I'll be honest. I'm not... This is uh, no bullshit. So you wouldn't like guys. to make ten times what you're making now? Of course I'd like to, but not at the expense of other people. Uh, I don't think I, it is at the expense I sell of other my people. stuff exactly... No one's holding a gun to someone's no, head no, making no, that's, higher stuff. That's a, that's a, that's a, that's a giant leap in uh, the train of logic there. I'm... I sell my stuff exactly what I think it's worth. Okay. I will not sell it for one cent more. That's why I don't do a dealer. Right. When they try to charge $1,500 for a Spider-Man cover that I did, it sickens me and I don't sleep for a week. I think you have a lot of empathy. You have a lot of empathy for your fans. And I pay my bills yeah. and I'm fine. Okay. I have no desire to be rich. That's very zen place to be, my friend. <laughs> it is. It's it good. Is. I respect yeah. that. Well, I, yeah. I'm not trying to impress you guys. I'm just yeah. trying to be honest. No, that's great. I, I don't I want bills, that. but I don't care how much money I have in the bank. Mm -hmm. I have wonderful dogs. I have the world's best wife. Mm -hmm. I have a house. No, wait. No, I've got the world's best wife. No, no. no. <laughs> I got you guys beat. I'll show you pictures. <laughs> <laughs> My wife's the hottest doctor alive. Uh, but uh, I honestly... Well, I a doctor. What, yeah. Okay, I think we've we've come to the end of this conversation. <laughs> <laughs> Anyways, uh, I, I'm being completely honest. Yeah. I, I have no desire to be rich. Of course, I would like to have enough money so I never have bills again. But other than that, I don't need fancy cars. I have a mm -hmm. truck. Mm -hmm. uh, we eat. We pay our mortgage. I... I 
I don't give a shit about anything mm-hmm. else. Well, you seem okay. to be in a place where you have a niche. You're good at what you do. You get frequent work. You're experienced. You've been doing it for 10 years. And, and how old are you? Uh, 37. Okay, so do you have a retirement fund? Uh, no. Okay. I'm going to die young. You know that? Yeah. Is it uh, congenital illness? Or? Uh, yeah, two, I have two genetic diseases. Ah, okay. So, I don't care. Okay. I just, uh, I want to rock, well, that rock and roll while, I wanna, yeah. while I'm here, and I want to make people happy, and I want people to make me happy, and, I won't, and that's it. Mm-hmm. I want to tell stories. I want to tell stories that when I'm dead, people still read those stories. Nothing feels, I don't care if somebody comes up and says, you draw the best Judge Dredd. When people come up and say, the cape changed my life, or whatever, it just resonates with them, and they're like, I read it again and again and again. That means something to me. I don't care if I drew the coolest Spider-Man or the coolest Judge Dredd or do not give a shit. Mm-hmm. It makes me happy when people are happy, made happy by it, but that's it. It's just, I don't even give a shit about covers. I just do it to pay the mortgage while I tell stories. Mm-hmm. And that's it. I mean, I again, I by no means am I saying my way is the right way, uh, better, worse. I, I'm probably more stupid. Uh, but you've got a purity of focus, it seems. I just I know what I want and I do it. Mm. I I got I knew I was unhappy doing superheroes or, or anything, so I found a company that would publish anything I do, and they support me, and that's all I want. I have nothing to worry about. I can I have more jobs than I can ever do, and uh, that may go away one day, and then I'll have to figure something out. But uh, I, it's. I don't follow a formula. I just know what makes me happy, mm-hmm. and that's what I do. As long as I'm not hurting somebody and I'm happy, I, I'm i fine with that. Well, I'm similar in that I love what I do, and I only do what I love, but I also want to make a lot of money out of it. <clears throat> and there's nothing wrong with that either. So let's. I'd, I'd like to hear from you, Will. Um, you've just, I mean, we know the working artist, you know, selling your pages, working on commissions. Now there's sort of the end of the rainbow in the pot of gold of what you described, the rich British collector that comes up at the show and, and drops like 30, 30 grand. grand yeah. So how do you get to be that guy? What are some strategies for that? Uh, part of it is is a philosophy I took from Norman Rockwell. Uh, at the top of his easel, he's got carved out of wood and, and gold-plated. It says 100%. And what that means is, after all the uh, negotiations are over, no matter how much or how little I'm being paid for a job, once those negotiations are done, I set them aside, and the job I do, I do absolutely 100% the best I can possibly do on that job. And that does a number of things. For one, it, it, it keeps advancing you as an artist, because you're not slacking off. Uh, for another, there's never a job that comes that that you look back on and say, God, I wish I'd done better than that. You know you did your best. And so you have nothing in your past to haunt you. No, that, that, that is, uh, uh, I think, very important. But that's just one part of it, though. So progressing in your career, mm-hmm. how do you build up the collector clientele? How do you position yourself visually to be, you know... We've talked about not in the artist ghetto, but beyond that, you know, to the $30,000 check writing epiphanies that may happen later in your career. Well, by doing your absolute best work and constantly getting better and better, 
eventually some people are going to notice, you know, and, uh, and you will get, by doing that, you will get better and better clients and hopefully higher and higher uh, public recognition. And then also, as I was saying, fame does not tend itself. You, you figure out ways. Well, one of the things that, that is sort of depressing is that... Walk off the go? Yeah, right here. Thank yeah. you very much. Not beef, right? No. <laughs> Thanks, man. One of the things that, that I find sort of frustrating and depressing is that in our society, in our culture, uh, film and television are the coin of fame. Now, I consider them... I, I like film. I like TV but I consider them lesser art forms. They're art by committee, and... Uh, they're limited. They're limited. When I work on a film, I can do my absolute best work, and it can be sunk by bad editing, by bad acting, It's by not a directing. singular vision. No, yeah. uh, and, and one of the frustrating things for me is I work two years on a film, invite all my friends to the premiere, and when the film is over, I say, well, what'd you think? And they go, oh, it's okay. Yeah, yeah. Well, two years for it is okay. Yeah. Whereas if it's my own painting or my own comics or my own stuff, I can make it as, if it's good, it's because I made it good. If it's bad, it's because I made it bad. All the responsibility is on me and I have total control. But you know what? On, on the flip side, my whole career has been the opposite where I've worked on very, very famous games and people will come to you, oh, I love the games, I love the company, it's an honor to meet you because blah, blah, blah. And I'm taking credit for the audio. I'm taking credit for the marketing, for the level designer, the writer, you know. Gameplay, yeah. Exactly. So, I mean, oh, the well, flip side works as well. The same thing happens to me, too. If, if I work on a film, and you can never predict this while you're on the film, but if it becomes a huge hit, or or like Pan's Labyrinth, not only a hit, but a, uh, we won four Oscars. Yeah, you guys uh, cleaned you, up with you, that. You share in that. But but the, here's the thing that frustrates me. When I, it doesn't matter what convention I go to, but especially Comic-Con, when people come up to me, they say, you're working on any movies? If the answer is no, they turn around and walk away. Yeah. Okay. That's it. Conversation well, that's, that's over. California for that's, you. That's the coin of fame. Yeah. And if, but and that's why I continue to do a couple weeks or a couple months each year on a film so that I have a yes answer for that. Yeah, I just did this film with John. Yeah. You enjoy yeah. it? And suddenly, enjoy film work? Uh, it, it's a... Uh, Rod Stewart was asked about his, his exes, and he says, well, it's a 51-49 situation. 51% of, of my exes if I, is, is it's the worst experience in my life. 49% is the best. And the longer you're away from them, the bigger the 49, or the bigger the uh, 49 looks, 49. and the smaller the 51 looks. And so... You, after a few years, you think you, you ring her up and you get back with her, and suddenly you go, Oh my god, this that's right. Why. Over half of this is the worst time of my life. And the film business is exactly that way. It's but it's like, a tool. Are you saying it's a tool? I use it as a tool for recognition mm -hmm. to claim my little corner of fame in that world to, to justify the the, uh, the fans' interest. It, it, it's, just, it's just a reality. It's a I, sad reality. I saw that at the con today. I don't know. I'm not going to name names, but you guys saw the artist down there oh, doing, no, the quote-unquote... Artist ghetto? St no, the guy doing Star Wars art oh. with a blown-up picture of him beside George Lucas, and he has a official Star Wars artist stamp he puts on the back of his drawings. Wow. 
Um, and it seemed like he was basically drawing in pencil from stills from the movie. Yeah, light boxing. Yeah, so basically uh, faking concept work, faking that he is part of that production because it's it's a it's a pencil sketch. It must be the genesis of all the greatness. I've done Star Wars and I don't even I've been paid to do Star Wars and I never I don't even do He it, seems so. to be backward engineering credibility. Well, that, that's our industry. You've seen it a million times. They're like, this is hot. So now I'll draw that. And you just see the guy with the big stand with prints of this and all illegal. And, you know, which is kind of uh, wishy-washy in our industry anyways. Um, I have no respect for those humans. And I hope they all die in house fires. And I hope I'm on record saying that. And I mean it. Well, I'm, I'm sitting. Not joking. I'm sitting. I hope selling, they all die in house fires. I, I'm selling paintings and prints, and and things that are based on like real jobs where I'm in the trenches. From your head. Yeah, yeah. Composition, photo, you know, color studies. No, blah, blah, blah. boxing, Luke Skywalker yeah, and that, swinging a lightsaber. But that guy, he puts a, a vellum sheet on it and a stamp on the back, and boom, hundred bucks, hundred bucks, hundred bucks. And that's where uh, uh, a word that really means something to me. Uh, uh, as you were talking before, fame, the other side of that is legacy. Um, they do go hand yeah. in hand, but they're not the same. Right. I want I want a legacy in the sense that when I die, I don't I I am an atheist. I don't care what anybody believes in, but I don't believe there's any afterlife. Your only afterlife is the stories I tell, i.e. Homer or Shakespeare or whatever. You are immortal. If you can change generation after generation after generation with a painting, with a story, with a song, with a movie, whatever, a book, that's, to me, what matters. Um, I heard, you a, know. heard a great great quote, which was, uh, everyone dies twice. <laughs> you die when you physically die, and the second time you die is when people stop. Remembering you, yes. or appreciating you. Yeah, or saying your name. Uh, and that's, that's a fantastic quote, and I truly believe that, and that's all I work for. That is more powerful than money, yeah. fame, love, anything. You know what? I 100% agree. So let's. And that's let's, one of the reasons I do the murals. Mm. To me, the murals—that's my yeah. artistic. In the zoo, much more. How many much, hundreds much of thousands of kids have seen your murals? Much more than the film. And, and it's not permanent. It's on canvas. It can be moved. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. It's not some crappy printout that the rain is going to ruin or. Yeah. Well, it's or not going to be painted over because it, it's it's removable from sight and everything. Yeah. I was in a situation where I had two dream jobs to choose from, and I knew I couldn't do them all. And it was like, it was a real dilemma. One of them was designing a children's television show, which is something I've always wanted cool. to do. Another was designing a John Carter film, which is something I'd always wanted Interesting. to do. And the third one was painting 12 murals for the San Diego Natural History Museum. And I was like, well, how, what am I going to do? And I thought about it, and then I asked myself the question, when you go to New York, what's the first thing you do? You make a beeline for the American Museum of Natural History to look yeah. at Charles Knight murals. Yeah. Well, I said, that's what I got to do. One of the greatest hot spots on planet Earth. Yeah. And again, hundreds of thousands of people, probably weekly, oh, walk look, by look that. who he influenced. I mean, it was his dinosaurs that became the dinosaurs in King Kong. Yeah. became the dinosaurs in Fantasia. Pretty much everybody yeah. drew his dinosaurs yes. for, what, how many years? For, I don't know, decades yeah. and decades yeah. and decades and decades. Yeah. So yeah. what are the years. formats that an illustrator can apply his craft to? 
to be the most effective long term and in, in past Ooh, our that's term? An well, that's a complex question. question. And <laughs> and one of my favorite artists in the world is Edwin Austin Abbey. Now he's not very well known. He was an American illustrator who went to England. He was an expatriate. He, he was best friends with John Singer Sargent. He was oh, younger wow. than Sargent. But uh, Sergeant, would, every time Sergeant finished the painting, he'd take it over to Abby's studio and, and show it to him and get his feedback or approval on it. And, and at one point, Abby said, this is a little embarrassing, John. You're older than me. You're, you're, you're the world's greatest living painter. Yeah, yeah. And you're, you're yeah. showing this stuff of me getting my... And Sergeant said, well, you're right, but you are the greatest colorist who's ever lived. And so that's why I value your opinion. So 95% of everything that Abby did was left to the Yale Art Gallery by Abby's widow. And my son was going to Yale, and I was going to go visit him, and so I wrote ahead and said, I'm an artist, I want to see the Abby collection. And so when I got there, they had box after box after box of all his original art. I was able to go through it, pen and ink drawings, oil paintings, pastels, all this stuff. And I'm looking through this, and I said, why isn't this guy better known? He's phenomenal. I mean, his color, his drawing, it's just like his, his types are timeless. He's basically, in some ways, the equivalent of a John William Waterhouse with his eternal types. Huh. And the curator said, it's because everything's here. He says, there's no incentive for any museum to host a show of Abby's work because they don't have an Abby in their collection. Yeah, so there's nothing left behind. And that made me immediately think of Frazetta. True. All the Frazettas are at the we're at the Frazetta Museum. Didn't it burn down? It would no. It didn't. So his dissemination. No, well, I know his son broke in through with a and, uh, and he like didn't break it through. He put that backhoe against the door because his siblings were stealing the paintings out of the museum. It was to keep them from getting into the museum to steal more paintings. Huh? I, well, I'm glad somebody explained. I mean, I just that read was, a little blurb somewhere. We uh, we heard some some great discussion last night with William about Frazetta and his underwear. So we. <laughs> Won't get into yeah. all that. Yeah. <laughs> it, uh, but so is it better to disseminate your work it, or collect it? It would have been smarter for Ellie Frank's wife to have taken maybe at least four or five key paintings and donated them to important art museums. Yeah, hub cities. Yeah, yeah, New York, London, London. And, okay, but what about for us that are not Frazetta? Yeah, that still want to do the best we can do. You know, what are the formats? Well, I was bringing that up because the the question you asked it's a complex question with right. complex answers, and it, and it varies from artist to artist. Very subjective. Yes. Um, but is it subjective? It, oh yeah. It, it comes down to the popular culture knowledge. You know, what do most people see? What is the longest lasting medium? What is disseminated the most? Wow. Um, that too. That that's beyond subjective. Uh, does a song last longer than a picture? A picture can degrade. A song necessarily doesn't. It can be constantly reincarnated. Um, I, I don't know. That I don't even know if there is. A but we're we're, to that. we're narrowing it down. We're already illustrators. We're storytellers. So what? Uh, we're we're comic artist guys. We're magazine guys. We're mural guys. Cover guys, interiors, storytelling, black and white, color, painting, originals, prints. Mm -hmm. See how many variables you have there, though? That's a lot. Uh, that's why it's hard to answer. I mean, franchise look at, versus I pay my bills, and he's been kicking ass for decades. 
I don't know. I'll probably never be as successful as you, but in uh, 300 years from now, who knows? Yeah, that's what I'm saying. It's it, Nobody has that formula. Yeah, Mozart was nearly forgotten. There you go. There you go. He had a renaissance, and now can you imagine going through life not knowing Mozart? Yeah. Uh, Van Gogh's with two paintings in his lifetime. To his and brother. both his brother. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, he was long dead by the time he got popular. So that it's, it's kind of a... The answer is so nebulous. It's grabbing smoke. Um, so I don't even know if I'm comfortable answering that because it would just be based well, on William, my life. William started to answer it with <laughs> with his mural as as strategically decided upon you know and use I think of his time beyond a wise decision. You know because who gives a shit about the movie could be canceled and the stuff could be put in a vault and nobody will ever there see it. There you go. Yeah. yeah. There you go. And. Uh, yeah, I don't know. I, I, I just don't know. I All I want to do is bring joy to people's lives. I, I remember a very specific point in my life. Uh, I was kind of broken. I was kicked out of college my first year. Um, I was doing pot and drinking every night and uh, working as a shitty cook and barely paying my bills and uh, I was going to a party one night and we're in my buddy's basement he was like getting ready or some crap and on a shelf he had the original Sin City and I'd never seen it before I hadn't read a comic book in a couple years and I opened it and I read it while he was like taking a shower you know shit shower shaving I didn't go to the party that night I went home he gave me the book and I don't even know what I gave in exchange I didn't have money I don't, I don't know uh, uh, next pleasure. day I joined the Marines sobered up uh, went to boot camp um, got out of the Marines went to college with a purpose uh, Frank Miller I know he's a mess now and everybody has these crazy Frank Miller story he changed my life literally and not directly he didn't know he was doing that when he did mm-hmm. it but his book his vision I've never seen anything like it gripped me just it literally like punched me in my chest and grabbed a hold of me and I, I couldn't I read the thing backwards and forwards probably a hundred times in the next couple days and uh, I knew the only thing I wanted to do for the rest of my life was to be able to tell a story that that hit somebody in the chest mm-hmm. and uh, uh, I don't care about money I don't care about fame I don't care about anything like that mm-hmm. uh, because the money is is feeding yourself. It's it's a car. It's some jewelry. It's a trip. Shit's gonna be spent. It's it, fucking meaningless. And what you do is changing someone else's life. It changed how it the changed path you. of my life yeah. from being a loser to a productive person. Right. Every day I go to work. I work seven days a week because I'm slower than shit. Uh, and to be able to work in this industry, I have to have X amount of work done, and I'm still late. And even though I work every day, but I don't care. I have one goal: is one day I'm going to tell a story. I don't care if it's one fucking person, and I know this sounds, you know, mm-hmm. hoity-doity, but if one person, I set them on the right path because I told a story that they're like, wow, I wish I could do something like that. It just resonates with them, and they close their eyes, and they, they hear voices in their head from my drawing. And, and you know what? That's more powerful than any money, women, fucking race cars, and if anything. And it, if it doesn't happen, at least, you know, you've gone as far as you can go, you go. and you can rest That's in peace. That's the healthy uh, 
attitude to have. It may not happen. A lot of that is serendipity and luck and yeah. and all these moving parts, the lottery yeah. of life. A lot yeah. of it's completely unpredictable. There you go. However, if you're focused and you keep working, you will have a chance to do that. Yeah. And that's what you do. You, you, you prepare yourself for that chance. And uh, that's all I want. That's I, I all just, I want. I just went through probably the busiest year of my career so far. I, I thought, okay, I'm going to have a good summer. I'm going to get out and camp and have some fun this summer. You know, summers are pretty short here in the north. And I worked all <laughs> summer, every fucking weekend. Both weeks. Yeah, every, yeah. Summer is Will July. has the joke of the night. <laughs> joke of the night. Folks. But literally, I worked all summer, all weekend, every weekend. And I don't really care. <laughs> you know, I'm fine. Yeah, you produced one. I feel really good. I could take a couple Summer's days. Summer's coming again. Exactly. You're, but you produce something that isn't going to come again. I can take a couple days, decompress, and, and summer's the past now. It's irrelevant. Yeah. You know? yeah. So well, that sort of restfulness of, of having done your best is a reward. You know. I absolutely, it's the greatest reward. Mm -hmm. It's tangible. It, and I was you like, can feel it. I, I got what you're pursuing with my dinosaur work. The first Which one, is my favorite the, the of your work book. Uh, because I'm old enough now. I've been a member of the Society of Vertebrate Paleontology since the 1970s. Wow. I go to their meetings every year to stay updated on all the dinosaur information. And now I'm old enough. I have young paleontologists coming up to me and saying, I'm a paleontologist because of your book. How, how badass is that? That is one of the greatest feelings. Better than any paycheck you Oh, yeah. Huh. Paychecks feel good, but you deposit it and you, yeah. whatever. To know that, that my work was able to influence people in, in such a positive way. You turned them into a weather vane and shot them that way. Yeah, I, I came to the Edmonton Expo here with my VHS copy of Wizards by Ralph Bakshi. <laughs> and, and William, I didn't even know you worked on that, William. I did the poster. He did the cover. Oh, okay. So William's well, cover Why is, didn't I know that? Because I know your work. It's an image that's been in my consciousness, you know, for, for 25 years. And, you know, oh, that guy is now in Edmonton. Boom. You know, like it's... These things are nostalgia. You remember them. They define yeah. us when we're young. And it was yeah. a funny thing because when I did it, it was another job and a long line of jobs. Yeah. You never know what's going to resonate with the people. That's a great line. Although, one of the best moments of my life was I was driving from my home in Hollywood down to my studio down La Brea Avenue, and there's a big construction site. And one day, it was covered in 2,000 of those posters. Oh, my God. <laughs> and it was like, I nearly crashed my car. It was like, I have a <laughs> that was so incredible. Yeah. And that yeah. goes along with your saying, you know, you go 100% on every job. Yeah. That was random job number 52 in 1977. Yeah. And boom, you know, 30 years later, you're signing it. And yeah, it, it's, still signing it. It defines you for some segment of your fan oh, base. Yeah. Yeah, I've seen that. That's probably the most tattooed image of mine that I've ever seen. Wow, wow. I don't even know if anybody's tattooed my crap. So, so what do you guys want to talk about? Anything? Have we gone deep and heavy? Do we want to wrap it up? Or any other words I, of wisdom? I don't have... I don't even have to be downstairs till 9.15, so you're the one with the family, Yeah, and uh, I'm up for anything, or we can... Well, if you have words of wisdom, you know. Uh, it's going to be generic. Uh, uh, well, let's live start with generic and then get specific. Who knows, okay. Who knows what's what's your go? basic philosophy? We've heard Williams is 100%. Yeah. Mine is honor. 
Uh, I have it tattooed across my spine. Uh, don't lie, don't cheat, don't steal, and you're, you will improve the little bubble of the world around you. I promise you. Mm-hmm. It, it, that sounds simple, but I've only met a handful of people in my life that can live by that, and uh, I live every day like that. I, I don't lie, don't cheat, I don't steal, and I treat every person with respect until they give me a reason not to. You know, the funniest thing is, is you know, comic art, fantasy, it's lowbrow. You know, I think the public would expect us to be a bunch of geeks and losers and unthinking, you know, unrefined people, and, and you really, you talk to the top artists in the field, and we have standards and morals and work ethic and it's a common thread it really is and one of the things you mentioned is I, I think we're all our own harshest critics the public doesn't understand it because they can't see what's going on inside our brain I, w- I was Thank thinking God. about the the other morning I was I was thinking you know what you never think about the really wonderful stuff you did what Bill what goes through your mind constantly is the stuff that you could have done better I, I agree with that. That's the, the bane of my existence. Oh, yeah. Is I'm a hack. I'm a hack. I'm a hack. Well, somebody's yeah. going to find me out because I don't know what I'm doing. Yeah. And then people come up and they're like, oh, this is awful. And just drool over you. like, I had no clue what I was doing there. I don't, I'm surprised it came out good. Yeah. You know? I told the story at, at, at the show today, which was, uh, I took my family to Yellowstone National Park. And while they were sleeping, I got up at dawn and went out to go plain air painting. And uh, I saw this beautiful setting. It was a full moon. The sky was this really strange blue and stuff. And I, and I took out my canvas. I started painting. I did the worst fucking painting I've ever <laughs> done in my life. And for the next 20 minutes, I just berated. Who do you think you are? How can you call yourself a painter? You do nothing but shit. This is the worst crap. The nerve to think that you could even call yourself an artist. I was just like berating myself. And then suddenly out of the corner of my eyes, I saw this this pair of mule deer. And I, I looked, and I, and I grabbed the canvas, and I painted over it and did the best plein air painting I've ever done. <laughs> and it was like, but, you know, you, you get those moments of, that I think you need of humility. Mm. It's the psychology of art is you only ever really see finished pieces. And you never see the process. You yeah, never no see one's going to ever see that piece of shit that I picked. Well, yeah. <laughs> but you don't see the internal struggle or the hours yeah. or the erasing marks or whatever. Yeah. And that psychology is basically like everyone else can whip shit off and I struggle. You only see your own struggle and you never see anybody else's struggle. Yeah. That's that's an interesting thought because I think any successful artist is like that. It's like everybody else is kicking ass and I'm barely making it. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, or at least that's how I feel, and I guess we have that in common. Yeah. William, you've been kicking ass since the 70s, so yeah, uh, and it's I also, old hat to you. I also, one bit of advice I give to people is never envy anyone. You have no idea what they've gone through yeah. to get where they are. I think it'd be a wife-beating child hater. Yeah. yeah. Uh, or, or like Steve Wynn, one of the richest people in the world, owns two the two biggest casinos in Las Vegas. His teenage daughter was kidnapped. Mm-hmm. Would oh. you want to sacrifice that for that? Yeah, it's not, right. What amount of money is that worth? None. They're Nothing. fucked. Money. Or these, these washed up Hollywood stars, they might have a candle flame that burns bright for Kiss a couple of years. Yeah. And then they're losers and nobody and self destructive and they don't have I mean I this is what I said to William last night. I'm like, Men, you look really good, you look young. I notice a lot of older artists I meet are very healthy and very mentally capable and you know, like your average factory oh, you enough cons. Well, you know, it, it <laughs> there's keep, some road hard dudes, but but yeah. it's a very mentally demanding craft that I think 
um, it keeps demanding from us no matter what. It never gets easy. No. You're always doing amazing mental gymnastics when you're doing art. And, uh, you know, there's no success that can be had and laurels to be rested upon. Yeah. And, it, and it keeps you honest for your whole life as an artist. Well, one of the most envied persons in the world was John F. Kennedy Jr. No one would trade places with him now. Right. Yeah, he... Uh, yeah, it got really wet. Yeah. Um, don't want to be there. So in, in, enjoy those struggles and, and realize it, it, it's part of a sort of nirvana of hard work. So refreshing. I'd never used a nirvana with work, um, <laughs> uh, those two words together. But uh, uh, it's so refreshing to hear you guys uh, talk about that because it, it, I, I just get enveloped in loneliness and... Uh, uh, self, uh, I just hate myself. You're in your all own head. Time. You're in your I'm own just head. Like, I'm yeah. a pile of shit. I'm a pile of shit. I don't yeah. know what I'm doing. Yeah. I'm letting my <laughs> wife down. Welcome and everything. To the club. <laughs> yeah. Well, good. I mean, that's why I'm saying it's refreshing because yeah. yeah. uh, yeah, you're wildly successful and you have a heck of a legacy. You you're in another field that phenomenal at what you do. Yeah. It's so refreshing to hear that because every day I wake up, I'm like, when are they going to find me out that I really don't? I'm not that good. Yeah. Um, that's very common theme. Yeah. But every year I get more popular. I don't know how the hell it happens. Yeah, my big hero of production design, William Cameron Menzies, the very first person to ever be called a production designer. He designed Gone with the Wind. Yeah. And uh, up until his dying days, he, he felt that he was putting one over on the film business and they were going to find him out someday. <laughs> and this is the guy who knew more about design than, for films yeah. than anyone living. He made the map. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> the blueprint. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I don't know. It's. Uh, Interesting, uh, uh, and I also think it's an interesting uh, uh, little group we have here because uh, we're all doing different things and yeah. uh, all been successful, and we all have, I, I think, common different issues. Yeah, we have common issues, and we're going in different directions. I think too. Yeah, yeah that's very interesting. How how neat is that? Well, and and William being, you know way further in his career than we are you know it's he's he's reiterating from experience what we're experiencing already struggling with yeah yeah, yeah. you know we have we have a gut instinct about what we're doing and, and, and William is, is saying you know 30, 40 years later yep that's what it's like and yep. it's still like that <laughs> yeah it doesn't go away no or do you lose your edge when that goes away when you get comfortable Oh, yeah, I fear comfort. Yeah. I, I really think you do. You see, especially in comic books, you see a guy that just elevates, 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 boom, plateau. Yeah. I, I, I just assume, I don't, I don't know, but I assume that's because they got comfortable yeah. that they're able to produce this artwork that everybody likes at this level a lot. And so they just, I don't know. Well, it, I had this great experience. I had a girlfriend who showed real promise as an artist, and I found out that uh, the best instructor I had at art school was, was teaching privately. So I called him up to enroll her in his class, and by the end of the conversation, I had enrolled myself as well. And so it, the first, it was a landscape painting class, plein air painting, and we went to uh, San Pedro Harbor to paint the boats. So the structure of the class was you paint all day, and at the end of the day, you put your paintings up, and Hal Kramer, the teacher, crits every painting. 
and he got to my stuff, and it was as if someone had pulled my pants down in public. <laughs> he exposed every illustrator trick, every crutch, every little weak little yeah. thing that I was doing. That, that we was, rely on. That I relied on, and it was the best thing that could have happened to me. It shook the cobwebs off of me. It made me realize, wow, I wasn't telling the truth as a painter. I was relying on old tricks and old habits, and... Uh, Boy, that was absolutely invaluable to my career. Well, that's cool. That that breadth of experience is interesting because a um, number of years ago I took a bunch of academic painting workshops, and uh, so I was learning, you know, how to make master copies, how to paint portraits and still lifes and figures. And when I went to these academies, the instructor was basically like, okay, you're doing really well. It's because you can draw. You know, you're a really good drawer. And at the same time, I'm doing my fantasy work and showing it to Todd Lockwood for critique and help. And he's like, you know what? You know, the problem is your weaknesses. You can't draw. <laughs> there you go. That's how uh, the, 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 the whirlwind of subjectiveness, you know. Yeah, but it shows how these different camps have, you know, even though they're very good at what they do, both of them, they have such different opinions and if you only listen to one you can tell yourself okay I, I'm good at something boom it can prop you I'm, I'm up or sink you and it should do neither well it, it can reinforce bad habits or, or thoughts of, of complacency and you need to expand yourself and like what William's saying yeah. you know go to a source and, and fill out your, your skill set with you know somebody who can evaluate that opinion your respect mm -hmm. yeah. mm -hmm. and then I always tell my students that Criticism is a gift. A, a lot of a lot of people, a lot of ours have real trouble with criticism. I oh say, yeah, criticism is huh. a gift. Look, if the person who's criticizing your work doesn't know anything, who cares? Water off the duck's back. Big deal. But if if a person does know what they're saying and they're criticizing you, yeah, it may sting a little bit. But they're trying to make you a better artist. So listen. So so your ego gets bruised a little bit. But if it makes you better, man, what's the downside to that? It's uh, you, you yeah. got to break things to grow. Uh, whether it's your body, yeah. if you're gonna lift weights, you can't just jump in there and uh, put up 315 all no the pain, time. No gain. Yeah. It's yeah. just a little increment. And next week you lift one more pound. Uh, exact same for drawing, painting, storytelling, whatever, writing. Mm -hmm. It's a series of plateaus that there you inspire. Go. Well, I always, a ladder, uh, uh, you don't get to the mount, uh, rooftop and in one leap. It's just one rung after the next rung after the next rung. And it's until you look back that you really see how far you've come. But uh, uh, you got to keep climbing. You can't get comfortable. I don't think, I don't think, you know, again, this is just opinion. Well, there's, I mean, how can you get comfortable? If well, there's a lot of people that just rest on their laurels. Well, you can get sure. tired. I, I understand that. You can have other I think priorities. not even tired. I think yeah. it's just like, I'm, I'm good enough. Yeah. And uh, yeah, maybe that's I'm making a living. It works for steady. People like me. I'll just do yeah. this again and again and yeah. again. Maybe that's someone who's never got that opposite opinion that, you know what, buddy, you actually suck at X. Yeah. And maybe that person doesn't have that information. Or they don't, no, they have that yeah. information or usually. They've really just fallen into a bad habit here. If you notice when you draw faces that are slightly looking up, there's no. Uh, most, most people do not live in reality on reality's terms. Yeah. They, they make their little bubble that they're comfortable in and they only believe their own crap. yeah yeah um, and that's a lot of artists artists are very bad at this uh, I think of any genre uh, ego management that's it they they're afraid 
to take the hit and lose the fear. Yeah. And uh, you will always, always, always be a better human being once you recover from that hit. Yeah. You will. You yeah. will. Always. Always. And uh, a lot of people are just afraid of that. It, it hurts their ego. And you realize your ego doesn't mean shit. Mm. And you'll be so much better. And, you know, yeah. you'll... I, I and you got to be fearless. you got to be willing to make mistakes. I... I find I learn more from my mistakes than I do from my successes. For we sure. talked about Croquil earlier. Yeah. I'm just like, just keep doing it. I, I'm not telling you something to, to, to put you on a fool's yeah. errand. I wouldn't tell you to pick up the Croquil. Everybody sucks at it. I sucked at it. William, yeah. I'm sure oh, it was a painful God, process. Yeah. It is a horrible tool for the longest time. Yeah. And everybody uses it different. i got a buddy that comes this way wow. with the, the, the Croquil. I mean, it's just the weirdest tool that you can do all. Everybody catches paper different. Differently with it, you just gotta get through those growing pains, and yeah. it takes. And, and make sure you use good tips. Uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, <laughs> Don't use an old tip that that's uh, twisted or separated. I mean, uh, I'd say uh, well, get the get the good advice from the masters <laughs> and the experienced guys, and trust it, and take it to you know an end result. At least try. It. Yeah, yeah, yeah. At least try. It. Everybody, for a while, not for two days. Yeah, yeah. There you go. Uh, it's it's you know. Oh, I tried the brush. I'm going back to brush pens. Yeah. Well, you didn't try the brush then, because if you get good with a brush, the only time I use a brush pen is at the freaking con, because I can take it on an airplane, it doesn't leak and crap right. like that, and yeah. I don't yeah. get ink all over. It's a shit tool. You'll never see it on my my finished artwork, yeah. or, or, or illustrations, I don't want to call it artwork, but... Uh, it's, it's so hard to break through with a lot of these people. And unfortunately, there's a lot of pros that fall into those things. They get comfortable and uh, they don't try new things. And uh, Yeah, Alex Toth is a friend of mine. He used to drive me nuts. Oh, you're friends with Toth? For a while. <laughs> no one's friends with Alex forever. Well, <laughs> I, but, I guess I like he, not knowing him because I, he yeah. is the... Oh, top of the pyramid oh, for phenomenal me. Story. Best storyteller and he is the storyteller. He's the guy. Yeah. <laughs> but he would ink stuff with markers. Really? And it's like, oh my god, you look at his stuff a year later and it's all spread and it's all yeah. it's faded. And it's and, like, uh, oh. God, that's another thing I, I never knew that. Use permanent materials for Christ's sake. If so you're, you're trying to do something permanent, use yeah. permanent material. Yeah. It's that simple. Yeah. You know? Because one of the reasons I use permanent materials, I don't want my collectors coming back to me in two years and saying, hey, this faded. Yeah. What, what's the hell? Well, and if the difference is like five bucks or something, you know, yeah. like, you don't, you want to respect yourself more than that. Yeah. yeah. I would suspect. Well, with Alex, I, I just think it was convenient. I, I, I know little about, like, I've read letters to Toth and I read it, you know, yeah. his big books, black and white and, yeah. uh, uh, but it's interesting. I've never met a, a person that you can actually have a conversation with that uh, knew Toth yes. and knew Toth well. Um, of course, I have a hero worship, but I have a hero worship for his product, and that's reproduced sequential and, and, art. And that's healthy. <laughs> but yeah, that's also life. You know, I'm sure I would have hated him if I met him. I worked with my hero on one of my first jobs, and I've never bought one of his books since, and I worshipped him for the first 27 years of my life. Uh, 
Um, and that's why I've turned down. I've I've been invited to parties with Frank. Well, Frank Miller's going to be there. He's yeah. your hero. Yeah. Will not go. No. I, I liked my shrine. He changed my life. <laughs> I don't want him smelling like a cigarette cursing at me. Yeah. And it's that simple. I mean, it's like uh, uh, so. That's interesting yeah. with Alex because uh, he's one of the best. So if you want to shut it down, uh, well, it, I'll. I'll just wrap it up here. So, anyways, that was a great conversation, guys. Yeah. Dinner here at the Middle Eastern restaurant after a, a nice, not crazy, but you know, fulfilling con. I think everybody had a good time. Yeah. And I got to tell one more story. Go ahead. Because I, I just found out that Zach was a Marine. And uh, yeah. this, this is a Marine story. Yeah. It's my favorite showbiz story of all time. I was working on a remake of Invaders from Mars. Yeah. And uh, we had sent the screenplay over to the United States Air Force because we needed all this military gear for the film. And it was getting close to shooting. We hadn't heard back from him. So I called him up and I said, you know, are you guys going to help us out? And, and the Air Force guy said, no, uh, we're afraid we can't. The United States Air Force cannot cooperate in the making of this motion picture. And I said, why? Uh, the military saves the day. You're the good guys. You're the heroes. And he said, it's the official position of the United States Air Force that there are no Martians and there are no UFOs. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm like, oh my God, we are so hosed. What are we going to do? Well, a storyboard artist was next Marine, and he handed me this card, and it was the card of the United States Marines Public Relations Liaison Officer. He said, call this guy. So I called him up and said, send me the script, son. So I messengered over a script that day, and this time I couldn't wait. I, I, the next day I called him up and I said, did you read the screenplay? And he said, yes, I did. He says, uh, are the Marines going to help us out? He says, you will have the full cooperation of the United States Marine Corps in the making of this motion picture. I said, so there's no problem with the official Marine position on uh, Martians and UFOs? He said, son, it is the official position of the United States Marine Corps that the United States Marine Corps has no qualms whatsoever about killing Martians. <laughs> <laughs> Marines get it done. That's it. All right, we'll Point them in up. a direction, they'll make it happen. Yeah. Yeah, I'd like to thank you guys. Oh, wow. Legend in the field. That was so fun. William Stout and my new best friend in comics and only comic artist I know, <laughs> Zach. <laughs> Zach Howard. He, right. see, he doesn't even know my last name. Even well, though he made me eat meat tonight. I, I, I've, known you, I've known you for like an hour. <laughs> it's okay. So, Zach, what's your website? Uh, ZachHoward.com. It's really tough. Mine's... Uh www.williamstout.com Both of ours are pretty tough. Yeah. Alright, and you should probably know me by now. I'm Mike Sass at sassart.com See you guys later. As long as you're living Always remember Folks who are lazy Are playing crazy You better keep moving Keep on improving You won't be hurried After you're buried Live every minute yourself in it as long as you're living okay hi there we're at the uh, inaugural Edmonton Expo here in Edmonton Canada in October 2012 and I'm sitting here with Leanne Cortash who's the uh, well maybe you can tell us your position at, at Bioware Leanne um, I'm a, one of the HR managers in our Bioware Edmonton office I've been with Bioware for almost 10 years. 
So I've been there through the growth of the company as well um, as all of the acquisitions and everything. Really? Were you there almost as long as Mike Sass? I think almost as long. Almost. <laughs> Not quite, lady. Not yet. <laughs> <laughs> so anyways, um, great to see you again, Leanne. Uh, so you did a panel this afternoon on how to get into the video games industry. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, it was a great opportunity to be able to talk to, to people that are interested in getting into into video games. How we got into video games, we had several people on the panel, um, including HR, um, director of art and animation, as well as a director from our online development group. And and it, it's great to be able to answer people's questions because they want to know. They want to know how we got in and how, how they can also get into the industry. What are some of the main questions that just get repeated over and over in these panels? Uh, you know, uh, it's, it's kind of an interesting mix of questions. They want to know how we got in, but everybody's so, it's so diverse, um, how you get into the industry and how you get into the roles you're in and the companies you're in. They also want to know what do they need to show in their portfolios, whether it's their art portfolio or their design portfolio. Um, they want to know about even getting into QA, which is a great opportunity um, to see all different parts of the organization when you're in QA. Um, People are interested in getting into marketing. They're, people, they're interested in getting into uh, programming, of course. So they, they are just, they want to know about schools. They want to know about their portfolios and what to put in, mm-hmm. mostly. Do, do people sort of think there's there's a trick to it? Or do, do people think that uh, there's some sort of magical combination? Like, can you, can you sort of maybe describe the most effective things that an applicant can have going for them? Yeah, you know, it's such a funny thing because we... Perseverance is definitely one of the the best um, skills you can have when you're applying for a job in video games. There's only you know a finite number of roles, and people apply for them, and we get people from all over the world applying for our jobs. We also have studios all over the world, so um, it's perseverance, finding the job that's right for you. And then when I think about other things that are, are major parts of getting in, is is that that resume don't don't be too clever uh, don't make it difficult remember that our the people that are reviewing resumes are reviewing hundreds of resumes and they've seen it all um, make it easy for them to review make it easy for them to review your portfolio make it easy for them you know like there's there's been how do I want to put this there's been some applications that have come through, and you can see how clever they are, or they're, you know, they're trying to be smart or get our attention, but it's annoying. Mm-hmm. It's annoying to have to click through 6,000 different links, or you just want to make it simple and easy and fast, because remember, this isn't, you know, for talent acquisition, it's, it's definitely part of their job, but for our hiring managers, and they're reviewing these things, they've got a whole other job that's you know recruiting is part of it but they're they're making games they need to get back to doing that so as fast as they can get through it grab their attention get it going and be simple that's interesting because that's basically we've we've heard those same things before from from art directors in in the freelance industry in terms of you know your website's got to be simple your your, uh, you know, navigation through images has to be simple. You know, everything has to be just called out. Because, yeah. you know, the, uh, the HR person or the art director might be looking at your submission in, in a five-minute window while they're eating lunch, you know. And if it's annoying, boom, you're gone. Absolutely. They'll go check email instead. Or, you know, 
I, I think about all of the portfolios and stuff I've gone through over the years. If I have to open and close every single picture or window, or it opens up a zillion tabs on my, I'm aggravated. I want to just be able to click through and go through them. Quickly, yeah. easily, navigate simply, you know, it's it's got to be easy. I hear you. <laughs> so, can you maybe describe on the art side of, of video games and getting hired at a company like Bioware, can you describe what are some of the most um, in-demand skill sets and, and ways that are effective for getting yourself in and, and cutting through sort of the crowd of other applicants? You know, I think that it's such an interesting thing that... We don't need to show all 3D work. You need to show that you can do it or that you can learn it. But I think that having that fundamental skill set that you that you can always grow is one of your best bets, especially in art. If you have that illustration background and you can show that you understand, you have that artistic eye or you have a cinematic eye, that you're drawing influence from not just video games, but you're drawing influence from film, and you're drawing influence from photography, architecture, landscape, all sorts of classics. It's everything. You need to need to show that you're a well-rounded person because quite simply, I mean, whether you're making a Mass Effect or Dragon Age, those are two different, like drastically different styles of art and, and, and subject matter. You need to show that you're not just all only drawing characters, even though characters can be maybe your focus but show that you can you can do a little other few other things but um and i have to say it you're only think about your portfolio again less is more make us want more make us reach out to you like get more and want to see more information and i'm not talking about one or two like you have to have a decent sample of your work and always remember that your your portfolio is only as good as your worst piece yeah those are very common things we we hear and i think that's always sort of the uh, the catch twenty two of showing diversity versus watering down. And, and you know, I, I see people and I see portfolios that are you know a portrait study or a nude figure study, and they're just not very well done. And people put them in there for the sake of that diversity. And I think people have to be really mindful of, of editing in that respect. Of okay, yes, diversity, but you know, if if it's diversity for its own sake and it doesn't actually impress, then it shouldn't be in there. Absolutely. I mean, it's, and it goes back to those fundamentals. You talked about the portrait study or the life drawing or anything like that, showing that weight, showing, you know, you know, you know all about all of it, but showing that you have an understanding and it's not just something that's random. I also believe in going on online forums, putting your work up and getting feedback. You can't be too precious about your work because people have to give you feedback so you can improve. Um, that's, I mean, quite simply, that's with all points in life. That's with all points in my job. I'm always continuing, continually telling, you know, our managers and people to, to give more feedback. I want that for our artists. I want that for people who want to get into the industry. You need feedback on your on your product. Can you uh, describe, say, when you want to get into a video game company, um, what are the roles that are most frequently hired for on the art side? What's the most oh. in-demand positions? Right. You know, probably uh, environment art is a huge thing. in our. I know for our company in particular, if you look at our games... Um, the environments are a huge part of it. It's, it. It is one of the characters within the game. It's it's what takes you. It's, it's part of what immerses you. And when you say environment art, are you talking level concept design? 
I'm talking about the actual functioning art. Like we have level designers where they're designing the gameplay through a level, um, but the actual building of those those beautiful uh, landscapes or beautiful buildings that people are in or the rooms and the levels how they how you go through them okay in a 3D program yeah yeah. but I mean you know you need to concept those out first yeah. so to, to be able to take that through mm-hmm. um, another thing visual effects visual effects in video games is a huge thing I mean as we as we look, and it's so funny because we'll see things and we'll be like, God, that fire is excellent, or that water is excellent. You know, it's interesting to see how uh, the smoke or whatever it is. Uh, the visual effects is, a, is another major one that I think that we're looking into a lot. That sounds very similar to some of the advice I I give people too. I tell them, you know, look at the nuts and bolts of a game, and and not necessarily the sexy stuff or the stuff that you know is is self gratifying, but look at the nuts and bolts and and do the things that maybe someone else doesn't want to do or that the crowd doesn't want to do, the things that are difficult, the things that really, um, that, that make the bulk of gameplay, like levels, you know, like effects, like objects. Objects, like, absolutely. Yeah. It, designing a gun, designing a, a, a weapon is a, is a huge thing. I also, you know, I also want to draw, think about the user interface. Exactly. Like when you're making your web page or whatever, think about that user interface because quite simply, that's a major part of gameplay. If you, your user interface in a game is really annoying, people don't want to play it. If that inventory system is annoying or if that, you know, being able to, you don't understand what does this power bar mean or however you decided to make it look cool but also functional and intuitive those all have to be you know, uh, things that are considered and I think people don't think about that one a lot and it, it's still very much part of the art of the game mm-hmm. I think what happens is people go through school art college whatever and you know their their first try at everything happens to make its way into their portfolio and they don't have the experience necessarily to know you know what are the down and dirty components that a company and a product needs they're more you know just putting the best results of their college years of of their first try at everything in their portfolio so maybe you know some advice also may be to to take some time and and disassemble the products and, and try to see if you can plug those holes with your portfolio rather than you know rushing off with a uh with an application with whatever you happen to have take some time and, and be a little more targeted absolutely absolutely get and i mean take a look on all the different job postings around maybe you're not actually interested in that job but look what they're looking for because i mean a lot of companies we lay out exactly what we're looking for for that role what we want to see in a portfolio what kind of work we, uh, experience we want to see and taking a look at that you can get a really great um it can be inspiration and it'll help you with instead of starting with a blank page, I guess. Can you describe, let's say, if somebody submits uh, to Bioware or another video game company, how long does that process take? Like, I think people get antsy, you know, oh, well, I hear back from them in a week, or why haven't I heard back? Or, you know, people are trying to plan their lives around this job application, and maybe I'll move, maybe I won't, maybe I'll get another job. 
you know, for, from my standpoint, I would think that would be a, a big deal. People's perception of, of the feedback and, and their chances. So, yeah. you know, how does that work? Yeah, it's, you know, it's really hard because, I mean, all of our applications go through the um, EA Jobs site and then they're reviewed. People don't necessarily, you don't hear back. We get so many applications, we can't respond back to every applicant with feedback or yes or no. Um, so it can be a long time. It depends on what roles we have open. It depends on you know all the people you're interviewing maybe before you or it. it it's 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 so hard to be able to say put a time frame on it because there are some situations where it's very quick, but it's all because of timing. It's all just oh. We happened to look at your resume this day and your portfolio this day, and then it was able to get through to the hiring manager, and they were able to look at it really quickly, and then we were able to set up all the, you know, so it's it's just, it. I can't say, because we quite, I mean, it sounds brutal, but we can't get back to everybody. Um, we only have so many hiring uh, talent acquisition people and recruiters, so you can't. You're not able to get through. And what about uh, what about face-to-face meetings, like at conventions? Not like this one, but more like uh, an E3. I don't know if that still runs or a game developers convention. Now, what if you're an artist? Is it worth your time going to like a game developers convention? And what are the sort of strategies you can use there? You know what? I think it is. Um, Especially getting portfolio reviews. I mean, we're at one right now. I know that we've got our director of art and animation reviewing people's portfolios here, uh, taking a look at them, giving them feedback. Um, Don't actually want... I think that the idea is that the problem is that some of these situations are people give very positive feedback. They're not necessarily getting really well-rounded feedback um, because they don't want to hurt anybody's feelings. Um, I'm not saying that that's what Neil's doing at all because I wasn't listening to his reviews. Uh, but I, but I do think that there's a situation where you've got to be able to take that feedback. You've got to bring your portfolio and bring it in on a, a tablet or bring it in so it's easy to flip through. Yet again, easy, easy, and um, being able to talk about it and and then remembering that people have a very finite amount of time and there's lots of other people to talk to. So you can't you can't only talk to that person for you know don't monopolize their time. Mm-hmm. But yes, I do think it is worthwhile, whether it's um, Comic Cons or um, Penny Arcade Expo or any of the any any of them. Absolutely, not as, I don't know so much at E3 anymore, but definitely game developers. And there's all sorts of different um, GDC. There's I mean, there's tons of different companies that does, are does in-person meeting like that. Does that somehow circumvent going through the main EA job site? No, not always. It's rare. It's rare unless unless something amazing comes out of it, or you met with somebody, or um, or if we've reached out to you to say, hey, come, let's have meet up at this conference. But it's it's no, <laughs> sadly, it doesn't. We still want things to go through there. Um, it also shows. Well, because you're hiring out. for a number of locations too, and you want to well. make that available, that resource. Yeah, absolutely. All right. And we want people to be able to, you know, remember to go to those jobs pages to look and see what's available all the time because it's always changing, and there's there are studios all over the world so what about uh, can you describe if you've seen any trends in game development or how the hiring is going and are there trends in, in needs for the studios, or is it fairly stable? You know, it's interesting. I mean, it's going to depend on the studio. I know that a few years ago, technical art was a huge thing, um, and it might still be depending on the, the engine or the um, technology that the, the studio is using for their game. Um, it's not as a big for us, but 
but we've got, you know, fairly to some, maybe because we have the technical artists. So it all kind of depends. I know, for like I was saying earlier, um, environment and level art is a big thing for us right now because our games are so big. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, so I haven't really seen a lot of trends that way over the years. Um, but I do, I mean, remembering that show your best, do your best work and show it and keep getting feedback from other people not just from your mom <laughs> okay, well thanks a lot Leanne, I'd like to really thank you for this this uh, interview here and uh, hopefully our Drawn Today podcast listeners will, will get something from that, so uh, just say goodbye I guess. Alright, thanks Mike and goodbye everyone. Bye bye Thanks for listening and we hope you enjoyed this edition of the Drawn Today podcast Be sure to like us on Facebook. Just give us a search for the Drawn Today podcast to get future episodes. The music in today's episode was by Karen Allison from her album titled In Blue. We'll see you next time, and remember to keep drawing every day. Forgive me if I seem to preach, but there is something that I had to say, a message that I hope will reach. People who are throwing life away, call it my philosophy. That is why I pass it on to you, because it works so well for me. Helps me get away from strife. Hope you listen carefully. They say the truth will make you free. And that's the way.